Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast, where we get cozy and talk about the books that we're obsessed with. How's that for an intro? I feel like that's the most solid one we have so far. I, I would agree. I feel like you got everything across that needs to get across, sounded friendly. I'm a supporter. <laughs> we love to hear it. Yeah, we've got our, we both got our cozy little beverages tonight. I've got a hot chocolate. I saw you were drinking a tea. And mm-hmm. so if you're listening, we welcome you to our little cozy book club session and would invite you to get your funny, your silly little drink if you so desire, because we're going to get cozy and talk about Ruin and Rising tonight, the final book in the Shadow and Bone series. And, oh, I'm Riley. <laughs> and I'm Sam. <laughs> guess it wasn't as good of an intro as we thought. Uh, I guess not. We'll get better at it as we keep learning how to podcast. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Ruin and Rising tonight. And Sam has just finished this book like three seconds ago. And I finished it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think in our Siege and Storm episode, I was complaining like, oh, I just read Ruin and Rising and I'm having yeah. such a hard time not talking about it. So <laughs> I think tonight, uh, now I'm having to try and get myself back in that mode because now so annoyingly, I've just read Six of Crows and I just like, I'm having so hard not talking about it. Anyway. Besides the point, um, we're in, I'm in my Lee Bardugo era right now, so I'm happy that we're talking about this. So I want to know, because I know you literally just finished this book, what did you think of it overall? I know it was kind of tough for you to get through, right? Yeah, so this book is, I don't know, it's like 430 pages, at least my copy is, something like that. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme of books that I read, this was very much so an average, if not below average sized book that I would normally read in about a week. Mm -hmm. And this took me three weeks. This was an absolute battle for me to finish. Um, I mean, I was like really busy and there's like a lot of stuff going on. So it wasn't an ideal reading period for me. Yeah. But even so, just like the motivation to read this book never kicked in. Um, I would say of the trilogy, it is, well, it's hard because Shadow and Bone was a really interesting and really good read up until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I think, was an okay read all the way through, better than Siege and Storm, and the ending was better than Shadow and Bone. Yeah. So I guess in some ways, it's the best of the trilogy for me. But even so, I just, I've got a lot of thoughts. There's just like a lot of things that I didn't like about this series from the beginning. Yeah. That never, never really came around by the time we hit the last book. You know, sometimes I read a trilogy or a series and it's like, oh, I don't like the first or second books, you know, and it takes me a little while to get into it. But by the end, I'm like, loved it. Great journey. Totally worth it. I don't really feel that way with this trilogy. Um, I just felt like I was fighting to finish these books the entire time, which is not usually my mode. Yeah, that's not really a fun feeling to have. I I do think this is interesting, though, and maybe we can kind of break down why the book might have felt that way to you. Because I feel like I had kind of a different reading experience, and maybe it was because I read 
all three books in really quick succession and I was just like really motivated to read them and really invested because I was excited about watching the show and like listening to podcast episodes that recapped the whole trilogy like I really badly wanted to finish it and so I think I just really barreled through them and I found this book the easiest one to get through because I found that the for me what part of what makes me excited to read a book is when there's good dialogue between the characters that makes me feel like I'm not reading like when I can forget that I'm reading and feel like I'm almost like watching a screenplay because the dialogue is just going back and forth and like taking me through a scene I feel like this book did that for me in a way that the other two didn't because we finally got like some camaraderie and friendship and like funny interesting characters like bantering back and forth where in the first two books it was just like so boring and like them just walking places all the time and I I felt like in this one there were scenes where they were like just walking places like when they were hunting the firebird and stuff because Zoya and um shit what's his name the guy with the red hair uh with the cat Harshaw. Harshaw, yeah. Harshaw. Yeah. yeah. I just, okay. I only remember the cat's name because it, yeah. it's so funny that the cat is just like on cat. On cat. I know. I'm obsessed with, with on cat and Harshaw. I think it's like so, like, it's just like kind of quirky and funny that this guy just like has this cat that follows him around and he like seems a little bit like kind of off his rocker. He's like talking to the cat as if it's a person mm-hmm. half the time. And Alina, I feel like that group dynamic kind of brought out the funny side of Alina that we had only really previously seen when she would interact with Nikolai. Mm-hmm. And so I just found this book w- much more entertaining to read. I don't know. Do you feel like you had that experience with like the characters and the dialogue? Was it the plot that was making you just like bored? Yeah. So I would agree with you 100%. Um, I thought that the dialogue was probably yeah it was like the best overall in this book and it flowed much better I think in the previous books we get a lot of time in Alina's head because she's kind of right she's just like very isolated as a character that that's yeah both in the plot and in her actual character Um, with her powers and everything is just very isolated and this book she didn't feel isolated which I really loved I really enjoyed the cast of characters it's the first time that the characters we start the book with are also the characters we end the book with yes so true which was really big for me but I would say I yeah it was just the plot I think the whole time nothing like shocked me or took me by surprise once they were out of the tunnels like once the the tunnel part I was like pretty into that at the very beginning um first when they are able to escape the white cathedral we start off really fast paced there for sure. the tunnels they've got the cave in a whole little thing and then I don't know I like the Nikolai content but then we lose that pretty early we lose on him yeah mm-hmm and yeah and then I just am like here we go we're just looking for this firebird and then shocking 
we can unpack the whole Firebird thing. But when the Firebird <laughs> was like not the amplifier, I was like, "What are we? Why am I here? Why yeah. am I doing it? I don't know." The twist to me, I think, I think here's what it is. I think the areas where the plot was not predictable, which is always fun when plot's not predictable, those mm-hmm. areas to me felt illogical and like they were just kind of came out of nowhere and I didn't we didn't see any lead up to any of those things necessarily I mean we can talk more in depth but I just felt I was like what why you know I think and I think that's maybe why I just I was never like dying to find out what happened next I was like all right she's gonna face the darkling eventually but until she does that she's just gonna be walking around doing stuff you know yeah that's true walking around doing stuff is a good summary of of things that happen in this series (laughs) yeah so and I think maybe that's what it is it's like once I don't know it just the their mission to me throughout the book didn't seem not that it didn't seem clear. It's just that I felt like we were all, and the characters seemed like they felt this way too. Like they were just kind of being busy until the final battle arrived. Yeah. And and I think for me, I was like, well, why do I have to read all this extra content? Why can't we just get to the part where she fights the Darkling and either works or doesn't we can move on? I think maybe if she had had a few more like, like multiple confrontations with the Darkling, if the Darkling was more present, I think that would have intrigued me more if there was more of like a cat and mouse element, but there wasn't. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, ah, you know? So That's I, true. It, it was the plot for me that, that slowed it down. Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you're saying. I guess maybe just because I read it so fast, I... And, and like, I could motivate myself to pick up this book when I was reading it because I would re- remember, like, how entertaining the dialogue was. And that would make me want to pick it back up despite, like, there being almost no plot besides them just, like, like going around and doing stuff while they wait for the final battle. I did, though, feel like also the beginning of the book with the um, that scene you mentioned when they break out of the White Cathedral. I was so excited and I made this little note in my in the page when it like is finally revealed that all the stuff that's happening in that that room when they're like blowing up the ceiling so that alina can get the sunlight i wrote finally a scheme because i love (laughs) a main character who schemes and then like reveals the schemes to us as they're happening that's like my favorite thing that's why i love selena and throne of glass and and I think Feyre and Akatar has that too. So I was like really excited, like yes, Alina, like we're finally seeing a scheme. But then it, I thought that would carry through the rest of the book, and I would like Alina more. But like I don't know, I feel like I did not see much scheming throughout the rest of the book, which was unfortunate. So it started off with some some momentum, and kind of mm-hmm. like it kind of like was jerky through the rest of the book. I I th- I want to know what your thoughts are on Alina and her arc as a character. So pros and cons, I like don't I don't hate it. It's certainly uh-huh. not my favorite character arc that I've ever read. Definitely not. Yeah. Um I do think that the glimpses of the Alina 
who's more assertive and confident and those sorts of things that we saw sort of glimmers of in the previous books, I do feel like we kind of get that Alina towards the end. So, and I don't know if we're ready to dive into this just yet, but first of all, if we didn't already say it, massive spoilers. This is a spoil-filled episode. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We forgot to say that at the beginning. We got so carried away with my, like, 10-second intro. We forgot to say all the other stuff. I know. I know. But I – because I was like, I'm about to say a massive spoiler. If I haven't already said a bunch of spoilers. But um, the fact that she loses her power at the end. Yes. And I know that they do – you know, we have that little after chapter that shows, you know – she she's okay with it. She like moves on with her life. Her and Mal kind of establish and and create a happy and fulfilled life. We do get that, which I appreciate. But there's something about it where we never got Alina as like a badass using her power. Yeah. The whole time, this entire series hints that she's got this power and she's capable of so much and You know, it's just, it's like, can she master it? Can she, like, dip into it without becoming evil? Like, all of these different things and tension about how powerful she is. And then her power is meaningless? I mean, it's not meaningless, but it's just, like, she doesn't use her power to defeat the Darkling, which is fine. I actually, I I wasn't mad about that. I kind of liked the way that ended, but... Her just, I just feel like we never really got to see her realize her power and like Mm -hmm. her own potential. And I never felt like she was ever fully confident or fully in control of her power, which felt like a big part of her character arc was lost because of that. I liked Alina as a character uh, more than I expected at the end of this book. I was like, okay, she's not annoying me as much as she has at the end of previous books. And she didn't feel quite as, like, meek. Yeah. But even still, I I don't feel like she ended where I thought her potential could have taken her. What did you think? Yeah, I felt similarly. I've I learned that once I read this and listened to a few podcasts that her losing her power is pretty controversial Uh, a lot of people have different opinions on that ending I heard some girls on a podcast saying that they felt like it was almost like anti-feminist to like write a female heroine who has power and then like take it away from her in the end and someone else thought that they liked it because uh Alina's whole like thing throughout especially throughout this book is that she her and Mal constantly, like, dream of being normal and, like, leaving and just being ordinary and living an ordinary life with no power. So some people liked it. And, like, I don't really know what my feelings are necessarily. I don't think I have strong feelings other than that it was just kind of anticlimactic. Like you said, like, we never really... There's always these hints that she has this massive power, like, roiling underneath her, ready for her to access... And she just never quite gets there. And then it's gone. And so then it's Mm -hmm. tying in with that. I also felt like in the beginning of this book, especially, um, and kind of the end of Siege and Storm too, I was really intrigued by the religious uh, Mm -hmm. elements of it. Like, especially when she's in the White Cathedral and she's being seen as this saint and she kind of has to perform uh, 
and like fake her summoning and stuff like that. She's kind of grappling with this idea of sainthood and what it means and if she actually feels like a saint. And I thought all of that was so interesting and and I just thought it was going to go deeper mm-hmm. and it didn't. So I I guess I have to reread Dune Messiah for for the- those kinds of themes because yeah, yeah. I mean for deep saint that's content. A where, <laughs> Gotta read yeah, Dune. Yeah, for the deep saint content. Look no further than Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah. I just felt like it never went as deep as I wanted and my other big issue with Alina is that she is not interesting on her own the only Mm -hmm. like times that she's interesting is in the context of her relationships with other characters who are more interesting like I just don't have that much to say I guess I do because I said a bunch of shit just now she has a little bit of like um it's not it's not that you're reading a independent character that has its own personality and its own mannerisms and like way of thinking it's like oh you're just what you're reading is somebody who's so generic and so bland that I as the reader can just like insert myself into that character does does that make sense and there's elements of this that I think feel a little bit like that where she just is so passive in some ways that I feel like she's interchangeable. Totally. Yeah. I feel like she is on her own pretty bland. And like the thing is though, I don't really feel like I can insert myself into her either because she, she's too bland. She's too bland. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I'm just thinking of other stories which, I mean, this is, like, a whole nother conversation, but, like, Akatar, Feyre is kind of a self-insert character to me. Mm-hmm. And and in that series, I feel like I'm going on the journey with her. I'm, like, mm-hmm. seeing, I'm feeling everything she feels, seeing everything she th- sees. I don't feel like that with Alina. I feel kind of disconnected from her and just, like, constantly kind of confused mm-hmm. about what her motivations are. Well, and you know, now that you say that, it's really interesting because when I was reading through and we get to the point where um, the the spinning wheel, Nikolai's little hideout gets discovered, which I was really pissed about that. I was like, you, oh I gosh, was really yeah. interested. I was like, this is a good element. I'm really curious to see where they take this. They're hidden. They can do sneaky spy shit. I thought we were going to get something really interesting out of that I thought we were gonna get a lot of scheming out of that hidden yeah I don't know it didn't go in the direction I thought it was gonna go and they get attacked and it's awful and I was like this is the worst and then they they manage to escape but they're in the forest and she goes out to collect firewood or whatever and she ends up having to just like sit down and she's like sobbing and screaming in the middle of the forest do you know what i'm seeing i'm talking about uh i actually don't think i remember that scene so it's like right after they escape the spinning wheel and like everybody has to like everybody's exhausted and they like have to support one another's arms and stuff to like keep the the wind summoners oh summoning you know yeah 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're on the flying ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they land in that copper mine and she's like, I'm going to go collect firewood. But she really just needs to like take a yes. like, space. I do remember that now. And that I, I remember reading that scene 
and feeling completely emotionally disconnected from it. Like she's having a full on, very valid meltdown, um, like a real emotional breakdown that's appropriate. And I just was like indifferent to it. Not in a like a bad, like, not that I was like indifferent to the events that had happened. I was like sad when it happened, but I just, I think Alina. Alina's emotions felt so disconnected from me that I was like, oh, she's crying, you know, versus in other books Mm -hmm. when I have a main character. Yes, exactly. I'm like, wow, my heart is breaking at like your heart breaking. And that was that was not really the case in that scene. Yeah, I totally I totally get what you mean. I I will say going back to the spinning wheel, like. I was so excited that we finally had Nikolai back because he's easily the most interesting character mm-hmm. to me in this whole book. And when I tell you, when he, like, five seconds after they've arrived at the spinning wheel, they get attacked mm-hmm. and he gets turned into this monster and, like, flies away. I'm like, you mean I have to read the rest of this book without Nikolai? Like, I know. Come well, on. And here, I was so frustrated. Here's what's so, I think that was supposed to be like a quote-unquote like plot twist right right and it was so frustrating to me because I was like when did the darkling get this power to just possess people why is he not possessing people left and right like I don't understand since when can he do that why is he not using it more like what does it mean and then we find out that like later on Nikolai is all, you know, monstery, but he's still clearly able to operate independently and, and he helps them in the final battle and all this jazz. And it's just, I'm like, I, right. There's just a lot there where I'm like, okay, so he's not possessed by one of, I can't say their names. I don't know what they're, the, the name. The Nichevoya. Oh. That's how I said it. Dang. I would just, I would go. I don't know if that's how you said it, but that's how. I said it in my head. But I initially thought that he was, I was like, okay, maybe he's like being possessed by the, the niche of Voya. And so therefore, mm-hmm. I was like mentally being like, okay, so I'm going to like possession thing. But that's clearly not what it was. No. Because he was operating independently. It was like a purely physical transformation. And I just, I was so frustrated because like you said, Nikolai is the best character in this story. Is the most interesting, the most entertaining, and I think mm-hmm. does the most for the plot. And she, like, t- has him in there for 0.5 seconds before taking him out. And the way he's taken out doesn't make sense to me. And the way he's inserted back in didn't make a ton of sense to me. And it was just really frustrating yeah. to have a character that's so good just kind of get this wasted side plot i don't know i was really i was like what is going on and why is it happening yeah same same i was pretty frustrated when that happened i did like the the tender moment when nikolai comes to alina in his like half monstrous Mm -hmm. form and i feel like what the darkling was going for is that i guess nikolai is gonna have some kind of intense craving for human blood and so he's gonna supposedly kill alina to feed on her i don't know but clearly he's able to resist that craving and so he approaches her 
and he like points to the the emerald mm-hmm. on her finger. Wait, he, I can't remember exactly what she happens like in the scene holds now. out the ring because she wants to see if he like okay. recognizes it, and he recognizes it, and he like comes over and puts the ring on her finger, and then okay, he's like trying to gesture to her, I think, to put her hand on his chest and like shine light or whatever. And mm-hmm. so she like tries to do that. That's right. And it doesn't, and it doesn't yeah, work. it doesn't work. But I did think that scene was really tender because she kind of realizes like, oh my gosh, like he's still there. He he's still there and he's trying to communicate with me. And it's like kind of sweet. But it just it just sucks that he's not there for mm-hmm. most of the story because like him and Alina together are just really fun to read. I will say though, I I still really enjoyed reading the dynamic of the rest of the characters, mm-hmm. uh, like Zoya and and Genya or Genya. They're still like it's still up in the air whether it's Genya <laughs> or Genya. But um, Zoya and Genya were had a great dynamic. Mm-hmm. I thought, and I'm obsessed with David and Genya. They're so cute. It just like I loved all of that as well so i'm glad we got like a good friendship element even though Mm -hmm. we didn't get it really from nikolai very much yeah i definitely appreciated the ragtag group of people who objectively don't like each other but are all committed to like a cause i did enjoy that um i will say i was like so the whole thing with sergey and how I mm-hmm. I did not love how that was handled because it was like, okay, it's clear he has PTSD. He's like severely traumatized mm-hmm. by what he's seen and what he's experienced. And he does hold – he like holds back the group, right? Because he's kind of like mentally unwell. They get to this right. space where he's sort of safe and they give him the option and like take him to a space where he's – safe and then they have him betray them and then they rip his body apart and I just felt like that was pretty unnecessary I don't know I think from yeah the perspective and I don't even know when this when this book was written but like I think it was hard to have a character who was clearly mentally unwell be like villainized and then brutalized again for the sake of the plot I think was kind of upsetting to me I was like why like yeah they could have found the spinning wheel in another way like you're flying giant boats essentially like you couldn't be like somebody saw your boat I don't know I get that that's not that interesting but I just wish that somebody else had betrayed them I wish that they hadn't ripped him apart. I just, I don't know. I just thought that part was really yeah. awful to me. No, I agree. I thought it was just like really fucking sad because mm-hmm. when he finally got to the spinning wheel and Alina kind of sits him down and is like, hey, I know you're not doing well. Like, do, would you rather go to the ground and and work in, I don't remember what she had him do, but like work as a soldier or something. Mm-hmm. And healer. Uh, and he He's said, a healer. Yes. A healer. That's right. That's right. He's a healer. Um, yeah. I th- I was like, oh, good. Like, we're recognizing mm-hmm. here that he's unwell and we're putting him in a safe space. And I really wish it had just been left Agreed. like that. Agreed. I thought that that was a really excellent arc 
for him because I I do appreciate in books that have a lot of action that you do have characters reckoning with what they've experienced especially when it's like oh he's not a trained soldier like this this is not right. something that he's been exposed to before and and I appreciate including that like kind of reckoning and response in the writing and so I I was like oh this is a good arc for him and then just where they took it I was like that just sucked yeah yeah I agree I will say having read six of crows I feel like Lee Bardugo has improved with her treatment of mentally unwell characters uh it just is really clear like now that I've read another book by her that this is like her first series and she's developed a lot as a writer since then because I I agree that was a questionable choice and there and there were a lot of just choices in this book that I didn't agree with Mm -hmm. and that were frustrating to read I will say though a choice that I loved was um Genya's moment where she finally gets to confront confront the the king oh that was so good that was so satisfying Mm -hmm. because the poor girl has been through so much and and her arc is really interesting to me because there's this whole thing in the I mean from book one I Mm -hmm. think Alina recognizes that beauty is her armor and then that kind of gets stripped away from her and we see her kind of reckon with this and I I wish we got to see more of it honestly but the fact that by the end she's able to kind of um I guess like get revenge and like say what needs to be said regarding this person who yeah. traumatized her and and violated her. Um that was really satisfying and she had a really badass quote in that. I don't think I have that page marked. Yeah. But it was really great to read that. I no, I would agree 100%. I really wish that we got more of her. Like honestly, I was like where's my my Genya book? That's what I want. For real. There's a short story in the back of my Siege and Storm that's about her, but it's about her. Oh, really? Yeah, at the very like beginning when she starts working in the palace and like gets kind of taken on or the the darkling like takes her on and starts to sort of mold her. So it's like it's really written from when Genya is like kind of at her peak like oppressed and abused and so I was like this isn't really the uh, like it's before like she Alina has just like come I think they're sort of pseudo friends but she's like Genya's clearly under the Darkling's thumb and doing his bidding but she doesn't want to and it just it's not a very empowering read but I would have liked to to just like get more of her post this book especially I remember there in that scene, though, um, I don't know if she says it to the king or if she says it as she's leaving the room, but Genya says, I am not ruined. I am ruination. Yeah. And I thought that was so badass of her. Yes. Which it's interesting that she has that. She has the quote and this, this book is ruin and rising. That's so true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, honestly, uh, go Genya for... Um, having more to do with the title of this book and being more interesting than the actual main character. <laughs> honestly, honestly, props to her. Also, I ship her and David so oh hard. My gosh, I'm just obsessed with like this hot girl and nerdy boy. 
It's so cute. And he like backs her up in that yes. scene. Oh my gosh. And it's so cute. I'm obsessed with them. I'm just obsessed with how oblivious he is. Yeah. It's just so wholesome. <laughs> I know he is so wholesome. And it's like like he was oblivious for most of the series, but clearly in this book, like he he knows oh, that yeah. he's into her and oh, she's yeah. into him. And and so it's really satisfying to see that happen with them and it's really really cute that like he loves her and like when he actually gets with her it's after she's kind of lost her Mm -hmm. traditional beauty yes and he still sees beauty in her we love we love it he's a respectful king yeah he is he's a little um he like definitely it's funny because he just like accidentally creates awful things because he like can't help himself (laughs) i'm like oh he does wholesome little guy doesn't realize he's creating like weapons of mass destruction but it's fine i know he's just he's just making his little potions and and things little thingies that he just makes mm, <laughs> and then he accidentally makes weapons of mass like, destruction um okay but i gotta we gotta talk about the fire word i want to know your thoughts on how the okay. Firebird and Third Amplifier played out. Yes. So when I was reading Siege and Storm, and there's a scene in Siege and Storm, I don't think I brought this up in our last episode because like, I just couldn't even talk about it without spoiling this book. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene in Siege and Storm where Mal grabs Alina's wrist mm-hmm. and the, she feels like this surge of power and heat. And then, and he, then he lets go. And I was like, when I read that scene, I was like, oh my God, Mal's, in, Mal's the third amplifier. And that's- Are you serious? That's all I thought. Yeah, I literally thought that to myself. I'm like, it's Mal. I don't know how that's possible. Maybe there's a fourth amplifier and it's Mal, but like somehow Mal is like, is literally an amplifier Amplifier because why would she have felt this like surge of power? I thought that and it was so- just, they were like passionate. I thought she was like, wow, he's so hot. I just had a surge of heat. <laughs> I I think it was because it's it seemed so deliberate that like his hand circled her wrist and her other amplifiers she wears around mm-hmm. her, her wrist. Yeah. Well, I guess it's only the one with the scales. But like it seemed so deliberate that it was her wrist mm-hmm. and so when that happened I was like, okay, he's literally an amplifier. But I didn't really realize like I wouldn't have guessed that in order to be the amplifier he had to die. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like, throughout the rest of this series, I was kind of like, when are you guys going to figure out that they if Mal just grabs you around the hands. wrist, you're going to be really powerful? Yeah. I was like, just let him amplify you, girl. Like, just figure it out. And she didn't. And it was really frustrating. And so then I was like, okay, we're going to go get this firebird, I guess. And I, I don't know what the deal is with Mal. And then we, we find the, the legendary firebird, and it turns out that it's not an amplifier. It was a decoy somehow. Like, the fact that the Firebird exists, yeah, but it's not an well, amplifier was really confusing. So, I think the whole, the whole, like, plot line of how Morozova, is that, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. How, how he created it. the amplifiers was so confusing to me. I clear I got to this book and they and like Bagra's like talking about how he was like obsessed with the amplifiers and then 
later when um, Alina's like thinking about Mal and the Firebird and like what actually happened, blah, blah, blah. I was like, damn, I didn't understand what these amplifiers were this whole time. I, I didn't understand that he made them, which I don't understand how you can like, I, here's what I don't get. Cause they're like, oh, he was the greatest fabricator of all time. And so I was like, okay, if he made them, then I could see it being like, an already made crown or like an already made Uh bracelet. But these are living animals that he somehow imbued with his own magic to make them an amplifier. And like then accidentally, he like accidentally imbued his own magic into his or maybe he did it on purpose. That part wasn't clear to me. Into his daughter. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the firebird, he like spread that rumor so that people wouldn't look for her, I think. But I just. Yeah, it was confusing. What I don't understand is I was like, okay, I get that he was super powerful, but you're telling me like other people have amplifiers. Like that's a known uh-huh. entity. It just happens to be that these three amplifiers can be worn at the same, like all three of them can be worn, right? That's what's special about this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess I don't understand how is everybody else's amplifiers being made? I'm pretty sure that just my understanding of this world is that most amplifiers are just born. Like they just kind of occur in nature. Like just like um, how some Grisha are are naturally amplifiers, like the per- the people uh-huh. who do the the testing on the kids to see if they're Grisha, those people are just born as amplifiers. And so I think there are animals that are also just naturally amplifiers. And so if you kill them, whatever, you get to have your power amplified. What I was confused about, though, was that Morozova's whole thing was that he used... Shit, what's the name of, like, the bad power where you you create something Mer- out of nothing? Merzost? Mer- yeah. Okay, so he used merzost to create the amplifiers and that was like the whole problem i thought Uh, but then what i don't understand is if he if he created the first two creatures the stag and the sea whip out of nothing because he used merzost then how is the firebird existing but not an amplifier? Oh, okay. So this this one I do know. Because Alina makes a comment about, like... So they already existed. They were just rare but regular non-magical oh. animals. So he was just searching for, like, super rare, hard-to-find creatures to, like, imbue with magic. So they would be okay. So he didn't create the creature. No. Okay. No. At least that was my understanding. Okay. Well, that helps. But I just I was like, yeah, the descendant thing to me. I was like, this feels weak. I don't know. Well, because because also the the creatures are immortal, right. or they seem to be, because they've been around forever and ever. Yeah. But the. The human amplifier that he created in his daughter was not immortal. Right. So were these creatures immortal already? I think so. Were they naturally occurring immortal creatures? 
does I exist in this world? It's really unclear. Wait, I have to I have to look. I know this is in the book somewhere. This is like so random and nitpicky. But I I was confused by this. I feel like uh, once again, there's just some like kind of plot holes in this series that were frustrating for me. Yeah, and I I think I felt like there was like a little bit of um, like heavenly fire moments. Like at the end yes. when she kills Mal and she gets the uh-huh. amplifier power, but then it's like, oh, nope. What it's actually going to do is give everyone who doesn't have powers within like a hundred mile radius the sun summoner power and they're all going to collectively charge the the fold and defeat everything. I was like, mm, okay. And then as soon as okay. the Darkling died, everything that he had like touched or created immediately goes back to normal. Yeah. Like even um, Genya's like scars like sort of went away. Yeah, or at least like the blackness yeah, they, like, faded. left them. Yeah, I... I mean, we can talk about the end because I also just had some frustrations with how that all went down. Agreed. I also, because she's like, oh, that's why Mal is such a good tracker. It's because the amplifiers want to be brought together. But I was like, well, he still found the Firebird and the Firebird's not an amplifier. So I don't really understand how we found that. I know. I know. On the one hand, I was like, okay, I'm glad that we've now like mentioned that there was some kind of other magical power causing mal to be drawn to these animals and make him a good tracker so i was like okay because i remember i think we complained in the shadow and bone episode we were like how the fuck is mal such a good tracker like literally what did he do to be so good at this so that on the one hand made sense to me but also like he's he's a good tracker like not of just the amplifiers like he's always the one that does the hunting for them mm-hmm. and he's he was a good tracker before he ever tracked the stag so i guess that didn't fully make sense like sure okay the amplifiers want to be brought together so that explains how he found these magical creatures that are impossible to find but also that doesn't explain his like natural affinity for tracking i mean maybe that's just something he was born with i don't know yeah, no, I agree. And it what's confusing to me is then in the after section, like in the epilogue, if you will, it they talk uh-huh. about how they're like, oh, the boy stares out into the forest like he's like lost something or something like that. Uh-huh. And he like talks to Alina about how he he like feels different and like that power is gone he doesn't specifically say the tracking power but that's sort of how it reads to me yeah he feels like something is missing yeah yeah yeah. and so then i was like i don't i don't understand but i did find the the quote about the animals that he chose um so he had chosen it says Morozova chose them deliberately. They were sacred creatures rare and fierce his child was just an ordinary Atkazatsia girl. And then um, okay. he, she, da, 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 it says, in the end, there had been no reason for Morozova to hunt for a creature to make the third amplifier. The cycle had already been completed. He'd endowed his daughter with the power he'd meant for the firebird, and the circle had closed. Okay. 
Okay, so the firebird existed on its own as like this immortal mm-hmm. creature. Yeah. Okay, well, at least now we understand that. I still just like thought it was frustrating that they went on this whole journey to reach a firebird only th- for them to discover that they didn't need to. Well, and also, <laughs> I think this is kind of funny, that they've known each other for 20 years. And they never and they never out. noticed anything. Like I don't know if it's just because, like surely he's touched her, her wrist at other points in their lives, and I was like, well maybe it's because she didn't have the amplifiers already. But even still, I don't know. It just seems like you would have noticed something. Like it would have come up. Yeah. yeah. Also, I guess I didn't realize that the amplifiers have to be in certain areas of the body. Like, what if you wanted an anklet? What if you wanted, like, a yeah, crown? I don't, I don't, I'm, I guess not a crown, because they can't take them off. Yeah, you need them to not come off. But it's like either it's a necklace or a bracelet is what you see on other Grisha. So could it be an anklet? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just was like, this insistence on this wrist thing is really intense. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I also, okay, can we talk about... The ending. Yes, please. We also need to talk about the Darkling. Um, So these two things will go together. So at the end, when Mal died, honestly, I was like, cool. Like this, this is like coming full circle. Mm -hmm. He sacrificed himself for her after he was so whiny and so frustrating and so possessive. Like he finally is... is ready to to sacrifice it. And it was like a full circle moment for him. And I also... Right. And I also just didn't like him that much Mm -hmm. so i wasn't like heartbroken that he died i was like honestly good alina can move on and and like find someone better (laughs) and and then he comes back to life i know i was like i can we stop bringing people back to life i could not believe (laughs) it's so over it like closes on that line and it's like and mal took a breath or something like that and he was gone and i was like what what do you mean like I don't know I agree I felt like it was such a perfect moment for him like when he died I felt like that was a really like you said closing the loop it was a good character arc and I thought that that was when we were going to get the launching of the final form of Elena for lack of a better term I, I was like okay this is the moment that her arc starts to close or come to completion and like she's gonna take this power she's gonna defeat the darkling she's gonna come out stronger badass you name it and none of those things happen and also she like so she just stabs the darkling yeah and she's able to do it because he's just like in shock that she doesn't have powers anymore yeah that because like i don't totally understand why he doesn't isn't able to defend himself because in other parts it seems almost instinctual on his part where he like doesn't even need to think about it he right can defend himself i need to read that scene again hold on i marked it because the darkling's death scene like really worked for me i it made me actually really emotional i yeah i agree i thought it was a good scene i thought the way it closed was um like a good arc for him. I just logistically, I was like, hmm, I didn't really 
and really understand exactly how that happened. Okay. So it seems, yeah, like in this scene, I'm reading it right now. The Darkling is just like so shook. Like, no, no, this isn't. What have you done? This isn't right. Oh. So I'm reading uh-huh. and it says, and so he's like in shock and then he like starts calling some darkness to him and she says if we'd still been bound by that tether he might have sensed what i was about to do my fingers twitched in the sleeve of my coat curling around the scrap of shadow around the blade of my knife the knife i had plucked from the sands wet with mal's blood this was the only power that was left to me the only one that had ever really been mine and so i think he's like calling the darkness And previously, he's always anticipated her move because they were connected. And now they're not connected anymore. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so she was able to kill him. Yeah. It's funny because I think we've mentioned moments in other episodes where these books kind of become self-aware in how, like, I don't know, just, like, weird and silly some scenes are. (laughs) And And in this one, like, she stabs him and then he goes, like, this? He's like, I'm really going to die like this. <laughs> and I feel like that was kind of a self-aware moment of like this, this super villain who can wield this insane power of darkness just like dies from a stab wound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he realizes it. He's like, damn, I'm really going out like this, huh? It do, it do be like that. <laughs> also, was he so powerful because he'd been alive for a long time? Because I didn't understand why he, like, Alina was essentially, she, like, said so many times. She's like, I'm not a match for the Darkling. Like, without the amplifiers, I don't stand a chance. Is it just because he's old? I think so. And because he had mastered the power of Merzost. Mm. Because, that remember, that's kind of her thing is, like, she wants to try and master it as well. And Bagra is, like, discouraging that. And, okay. But secretly she's like, I must. Well, and to that point, I think that was something that I was a little bit salty about is that we never really get any resolution on that because throughout the whole second and third, it's like, oh, like I really like she really wants to do it and she thinks about it a lot. And it's like, but what if it turns her evil? What if it makes her just as bad as him? And it's like always mm-hmm. – sort of like tantalizingly there of what would like could she do it and what would happen if she did and then we just don't and she just never does yeah i know it's true she just really (laughs) i think that's another part where like her losing her power is kind of underwhelming is like she's really contemplating all these different ways she can use it Mm -hmm. and like grappling with this this uh realization that she's kind of the mirror image of the darkling Mm -hmm. and then and then she just like loses, just like loses all that and becomes ordinary. And then she says, when she's holding the knife in that part you were just reading, mm-hmm. something about this was the only power that was ever really mine. Like, girl, no, I your know. power was yours. That didn't make what any sense to about? me either. I was like, I, I didn't understand why. I also um, think it's funny that she like, so she masters the cut in the first book, and it's cool, right? It's like this big sort of like showy moment and it's like a big coming into her power moment Mm -hmm. and then we never get a similar thing again and the cut becomes her like like her expelliarmus where she just whips it out it's the (laughs) only thing she knows how to do and i'm like don't don't you have anything else in your arsenal can we not 
get ever so slightly more versatile, which brings me, this just triggered my thought process, to this whole thing about her bending the light to make them invisible. Yes. Now, when it was the flying boat machine, which they're, I don't know why in my mind, they're like very distinctly flying boats. I don't know if they look that way in your mind, but that... Oh yeah, they look like okay, boats okay. to me too. I understood when she could shield the bottom of that. That to me, I was like, okay, there's like some physics, some mechanics that I don't fully understand, but I can buy into that. Mm-hmm. This idea... That she's bending the light around, what, like 20 people simultaneously, all moving, all fighting to, like, keep them invisible. I was like, no, I don't, that I don't buy into. That she's, like, able to cover multiple moving people and make them invisible. Right. Like, it's one thing to cover, like, the one giant boat or, like, a bunch of people who are holding still. Mm -hmm. But, like, when they're fighting, you don't know what. Like, right. what their next move is going to be. Like, how do you follow them with this light that you're bending? I don't know. I agree. That part, I was like, doesn't, was doesn't check out to me. No, I agree. Something I wanted to say, this is like kind of a change of subject, mm-hmm. is that in this book, I did feel like the Darkling and Alina's relationship was interesting again. I agree. Because I think we talked in the first book about how, like, they had all this chemistry in this connection and then he like suddenly becomes this creepy old evil bad guy and then in siege and storm like they kind of have some chemistry again but like not as much and then in this book i did feel like there was a lot of chemistry again and there's this part where like she willingly goes to visit him because she is she even says like i marked this quote um i was so weary and it felt so easy to be here with him so, like, I thought this that was so fascinating that she, like, willingly would visit him because she liked – it, like, felt easy and natural to be in his presence. And and these visits that she does are – it was very, um like, Ray and Kylo Ren. Yes. Star Wars is what it reminded me of. <laughs> That's a great comparison. That's super, super accurate. <laughs> Um, where they, she like, they can't actively harm each other because she's not like fully actually there. But, and so because of that, it's like a a low stakes situation where she can be with him. And in those situations, it's like, she, she likes being with him. Mm -hmm. Like the conversations that she has with him are, it, it makes it clear that he is the only person who like really understands this massive power that she has mm-hmm. and the capabilities that she has and and also he is clearly like using her as this person who finally is helping him feel like he's not alone mm-hmm. and i just thought that that whole dynamic was so interesting and i just i guess i wish it had been consistent throughout the whole story i would agree and i cuz you're right. I think that the palpable tension whenever she like goes to see him and they're just like, I think the fact that 
they can only like they can only see each other no one else can see them and there's like other people in the room like she does that one where he's like in the throne room and there are people in there and she can see him and he can see her but no one else can so he like has to make everyone leave i was like ooh, um yeah i was super into that and i think that not only would i have wanted more of that kind of content in siege and storm because in siege and storm it just is very creepy it's not like a like a sexual tension it's just like oh is she going crazy maybe and he's just like standing there silently mm-hmm. watching her um but i also felt like that tension never really got the resolution or closure that i wanted I think the way yeah. they came to their final confrontation just never never really spoke to that tension, you know? Like, she goes and she sees him, and when it's in that space, there's a spark. There's a lot of chemistry. Is it toxic? Is mm-hmm. it bad? Maybe. Probably. But, like... Totally. There's just so much spark there. But then, when they're face-to-face battling it out it doesn't feel very sparky it feels much more of like he's the classic villain who we hate and we don't have any chemistry Mm -hmm. with we just hate him and Mm -hmm. up until the point where she stabs him that tension just really isn't there Um, and I just felt like it was a little bit unresolved for me I wish that they had had more dialogue in this book yeah I agree also, the scene um, where where um, she visits the Darkling and he shows her that he has totally, like, blown up and oh, killed I everyone know. at Karamzin. I don't know how yeah, you yeah. say that, but that's how I said it. And then she, like, cries in his arms. I just thought that scene was really fascinating because it was like so violent and brutal and disgusting that he's like killed all these people that she knows who were like her childhood and hung them in these trees mm-hmm. for her to see as like a threat. And and then she she just like kneels down and sobs and he, oh, I can't find where I marked it, but he essentially like holds her and really gently tells her, oh yeah, okay. He gently folded me in his arms. He pressed a kiss to the top of my hair. I will strip away all that you know, all that you love, until you have no shelter but me. And this made me think his character was more interesting because clearly what he wants is for her to be this person for him who, like, Mm -hmm. understands him and is there for him in the way no one else is. But she's not, like, she's resisting that. And so he tries to force it instead. Right. And I just felt like by the end of this, like we never really got the resolution on kind of their tension, but we, I did feel like I understood him as a villain Mm -hmm. by the end as like this, this man who's just so desperate for like someone to, for like a companion who understands him and and, but he's just lived so long and seen so much grief and become so out of touch with, like, the value of human life that he is just kind of this monster. And so it it's never going to work for him. And in the end, he realizes that he's alone before he dies. 
I don't know. I thought his villain story and like his arc was pretty compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I did feel like by the time he actually died, I felt moderately satisfied with his arc. I think maybe my issue is overall as a villain, I thought that we would see him more in this book. Like I thought he would play a more Mm -hmm. active present role. Obviously, he's this yeah. threat that's always looming and they're doing all of these things in preparation of confronting him. But he himself is not particularly present. And so I think because of that, maybe the intensity of the moment is like lost for me when I'm reading. It's like he feel the villain feels far away. So I don't feel like they're under that much pressure. I don't feel like yeah. things are like super fast paced um because he's just like not the bad guys are just like not there and i just I, yeah that's true i think i just was hoping that i like i liked his arc but i wish that he was more present for it i feel like that just kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier with Nikolai is like a big issue with this series is that the most interesting characters are just constantly not present. I know. It's a very odd. <laughs> and instead we just get fucking Mal all the time. And I don't want to talk to Mal. When it's it's just interesting because I feel like, like, why is Mal so boring? And like, I feel like Lee Bardugo, like, did she know that Mal was and Alina were boring when she wrote them? I don't know. I do remember hearing in another episode I was listening to, um, the the hosts of the podcast were saying that they had read some interview with Lee Bardugo where she said that she has regrets about like how she wrote Mal's character. So, I mean, my if we're, we're gonna make a wild guess, I haven't read any of these interviews myself. My guess is that like it was her first series and Mm -hmm. so she wanted us to love Mal but she just didn't quite know how to write like a complicated love interest Mm -hmm. and so instead we just got this boring like whiny yeah dude also I this is random but I hated his like cheesy his tattoo that was like I am become a blade this giant sun on the back I was like this is as corny as fuck like why do we have to do this i know and i was like (laughs) and i still don't understand why it's grammatically incorrect yeah i didn't i figured it was because it was supposed to be some ancient saying (laughs) i thought that was i was like a giant sun and it says i am become the blade ridiculous why Uh, and they like so and like alina mentally ties that like, when she finds out that he's the amplifier, she, like, connects that with his tattoo. And I was like, they're not connected. This is just a stupid no. frat boy tattoo. I was right. like, no. He just did that because he wanted to. I will say, I think of all of the books, this book, to me, Mal was the most likable. I didn't love him, but yeah. I, but I thought it, this was his best book. He was the least annoying in this book. I agree. I agree. And it's he was certainly better than Siege and Storm. Well, and it's interesting because he really does a 180 between Siege and Storm and Ruin and Rising. And I don't really think we get a ton of explanation. Like, I don't know if it's him seeing Alina, like, try to sacrifice herself that really turns him around and, like, makes him so dedicated to this cause 
and abandon the idea of like you know go like running away with Alina mm-hmm. I don't know and then he like has sort of makes his peace with Nikolai off screen maybe I forget yeah we never that. really see that okay that's good I'm glad you didn't see that either because I was like maybe I just didn't no <laughs> there, I didn't. there are some blanks in this book i won't lie i think i just like read too fast but yeah i yeah and since i've now read it a couple weeks ago it's like hard but yeah i just i i think there were some i liked his character better in this book but i did feel like it was inconsistent i think his character just across the whole series was pretty inconsistent i think maybe that's what makes him so boring is that you just never really understand what his motivations are and like what he actually wants and why he acts the way he does and also just like writing wise and dialogue wise mal never provides the interesting dialogue Mm -hmm. that like that always comes from characters like nikolai or zoya or genya or david like they're the ones that are like bringing the spice Mm -hmm. mal just like has no spice he's so bland Well, and it's interesting because they have this huge, they're like, it's their, it's supposed to be their love story, right? And they're this Mm -hmm. great tragic story. And and obviously from Alina, we get that she's kind of obsessed with him in kind of a juvenile crushy sort of way. But from Mal, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like we ever get any signs that he actually, like, not that he doesn't care for her he obviously does and like his dialogue says that he does it's just we never get any of those little details about like him watching her or him i don't know like lightly touching her or you know how like books will drop in those little tiny things that clue you in that there's like oh there's there's chemistry here there's something more we don't ever get that with the two of them and i think maybe it is just like a first time series younger author situation where you just haven't quite figured that out but i think it becomes hard to buy into the ending of this book without buying in to Mal and Alina's relationship. It's like, if you're not invested in their relationship, the ending really falls flat. And I think if I was more interested in them, the ending would be much more compelling, but I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. And going off of that, I feel like one of the biggest issues with Mal is that like you said, it's like a lot of telling about how his character is, but not actually showing it. And something that frustrated me from the beginning is that like, supposedly, I mean, he admits to her in this book when they have sex, he tells her that he's been into her since they were children. But like, that felt when like they, such in the a beginning of the in. first book, yeah, like they, it talks about them being in the, the first army in the first book. And like, Mal is like this womanizer guy mm-hmm. who's like sleeping with all these girls like he sleeps with zoya at one point and it's like this whole thing but like i don't get womanizer vibes from him literally at all in the rest of the story it like completely drops that part of his character like he's not this like charming hot guy except literally in like the first few chapters of shadow and bone and so i was kind of confused like okay if he's been into her since he was a child then why 
was he like out here being this womanizer frat boy and just like not really giving Alina the time of day besides to be like, you're my best friend. Like that just didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I just, it comes off really like just inexperienced writer, I think. Maybe not really knowing how to flesh out that kind of, those little Easter eggs that should be dropped in from the beginning to clue you in that like these characters are end game and that like they're into each other. Mm We just, like, we were getting that from Genya and David, literally from book one. But we just were not getting it from Mal and Alina. And so that's why I wondered when Shadow and Bone was originally written, maybe even before it went through, like, the editing process, that Mal and Alina Mm -hmm. were not endgame. And that Alina and the Darkling were supposed to be the relationship arc. Because that's how that book reads. yeah. And then at the end, you get this very, like, sort of weird and unexpected. It doesn't feel consistent with the rest of the book. Like, there was, like, like an ending was swapped out. Um, and they just, yeah. like, plugged something new in. And so I do sort of feel like feel like either Lee Bardugo didn't mean, wasn't initially intending for Mal and Alina to be Endgame. Or... She was Yeah, I could see that. She was trying so hard to make sure that you didn't suspect the Darkling as the villain that she like overcompensated and sort of mm. made took Mal off the table as far as like a potential romance and focused so heavily in on the Darkling that then the Mal Alina romance feels like it comes out of left field. Those are my two theories. Yeah, I think those are solid theories. Thank you. Because, yeah, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I do think, though, I think there's, like, in the fandom of this series, there's people that wanted Alina to end up with the Darkling, and there's people that wanted her to end up with Nikolai, and people that wanted her to end up with Mal. There's, like, three camps. Mm -hmm. I I personally was not in any of those, and I wanted her to end up alone. Agreed. So when Mal died, I was like, cool. She's gonna end up alone. Because, like, Nikolai's too good for her. The Darkling is hot and sexy, but deeply twisted and unwell, (laughs) and he needed to die. And, uh... Mal sucks. And, and, um, yeah, Nikolai's, like, too... He needs someone better. Mm -hmm. Which, he has his own series, so I want to read that and see if he get some kind of interesting love interest there but yeah i i i was like alina is gonna be better off alone and so then mal like comes back to life and then they just go off and i guess live this kind of ordinary life at the orphanage Mm -hmm. which like good for them but i don't know know. it was pretty underwhelming i don't know do you feel like you were in any of those like three camps like shipping her really hard no definitely not i was in the same boat as you where i was like Okay, the Darkling needs to die. I think Mal dying is like a nice tie-in. And I love the idea of Alina and Nikolai being like platonic besties. Um, And like still very close, but very not romantic. Um, I'm really really into those kinds of friendships where they're like flirty, but, but everybody knows there's no romance happening there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought... That she, or what I was like maybe more hoping for, is that she was going to kind of become like the new pseudo-Bagra 
maybe doesn't use her powers a ton, but like dedicates her life to training young Grisha and like maybe like she runs the school or, or something of that capacity. She's like a Grisha advisor to Nikolai and they're besties, but she's just like training people and not really using her powers a ton. Um, that mentally I was like, yeah. I'm kind of into that idea. I could see that. But I mean, the, the orphanage thing though is kind of a nice yeah. little circle thing where she's like caring for these children who were in her same situation. She was. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> overall, it was like kind of lackluster. So I just, I feel like my overall thoughts on this series are just that it was like, it was okay, but not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think now that I've listened to, you know, some podcasts and like kind of started to be part of the online like Grishaverse fandom, that seems to be the consensus is that like the series is good, not great. The real hype is for Six, Six of, of Crows. Crows. Which is so true. I've only read the first one, but, like, it was so good. And then I've also seen quite a bit of hype for the King of Scars series about Nikolai. So I want to read that as well. Well, there we go. But, yeah, I just... I did feel like this book worked for me a lot better than the Mm -hmm. other books in the series. I think I gave it four, maybe four and a half stars on... I probably gave it four and a half stars, my initial thoughts. But, like, I should go back and put four stars well you can't give because that's my official you can't rating. give half stars on goodreads i know but i always put i always round down and then i put in my caption oh, 4.5 okay, stars okay. yeah i gave it because i think it's stupid that you can't do half i yeah I, I know i don't know why they haven't changed that everybody complains about it all the time they have to have heard it it can't be that difficult of a coding thing whatever not i know not the point <laughs> any any Goodreads execs are out there listening, give us the half star option. We're begging give you. Give us the half stars, um, please. Yeah, this is a three point five for me. I uh, I think this book actually made me reevaluate the previous book, which I also gave a three point five, and I think I should give it like a two point five. I really yeah no I agree that finishing this series did not give me much satisfaction at all I was like oh, at least I'm done so yeah yeah at least you're done yeah I felt the same way I went back and lowered my ratings of the first two <laughs> books as well <laughs> after I finished this one because I was like honestly like the the only good book to me in the grand scheme of it was a third one and it still like wasn't that good mm-hmm. it's but it's a very did, interesting ooh. world and it's a really interesting magic system it's just the the rest of the stuff is a little shaky right like the plot is just like kind of shaky and i i think what i loved about this third book was the dialogue and all the side characters mm-hmm. i love when there's just like a group of of fun absolutely side characters also favorite scene in the entire book um when they're at the spinning wheel and nikolai like sends all of these like dresses and like jewels or whatever to alina's room to get ready for they're like going (gasps) on some trip and she like invites all the girls in and she's like i don't do with any of this and they have like a little party (laughs) and it's so sweet (laughs) yes and i think we don't necessarily get all of those characters getting along all the time, but that was just like such a wholesome, mm-hmm. like girl gang 
I loved it. That's my favorite scene. No, I remember that scene too. It was so wholesome. I also had marked this scene that I kind of want to read because I just like loved this dialogue. I don't remember exactly what the context is here, but oh, this honestly might be that girl scene because um, yeah, I think it is because she's showing all the girlies her the Lansoff emerald oh, yeah, yeah. that Nikolai gave her. And then they're all kind of discussing, like, Genya's like, oh, my God, did he propose? Um, and Zoe's like, break his heart. Um, I would make a magnificent queen. <laughs> I Loki love and her. And Alina goes, I know, I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> Alina's like, you actually might, Zoya, if you could stop being horrible for a minute. And Zoya goes, with that kind of incentive, I can manage a minute, possibly two. <laughs> and and so they're then they're kind of going on and... Um, and they get to this point where, like, Genya says that she wants them to have a Grisha queen. Like, to be the, for us to be the ones to rule instead of just to serve. <laughs> and then Zoya, it's, I'll read this part. Zoya sniffed, settling a seed pearl atop her hair. I still say it should be me. Genya tossed a velvet slipper at her. The day I curtsy to you is the day that David performs an opera naked in the middle of the shadow fold. Zoya, like I'd have you in my court. <laughs> Kenya, you should be so lucky. Come here, that headpiece is completely crooked. And then Alina, I picked up the ring again, turning it over in my hand. I couldn't quite bring myself to put it on. Uh, Nadia bumped my shoulder with her own. There are worse things than a prince. True. Better things too, Tamar said. Try this one on. And they're like, just, you know, throwing stuff around and mm-hmm. <laughs> trying stuff on. And then Zoya um, <laughs> being like, well, Alina can't wear this crown. She'll she'll fall right out of it onto her dessert plate. And Tamar goes, diplomacy. <laughs> it's just. They're talking uh, about and the dress. Goes, it's a dress. Because it's, it's so dress, low right. cut that she's like, it's her really boobs are going to fall off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Nadia goes, West Ralphka declares for the sun summoner's bosom. <laughs> it's just so oh my funny gosh. so wholesome. Yeah. No, I loved I loved all this banter that they they were having and especially with Zoya cuz she's just like she's horrible but she's kind of self-aware in how horrible she is. Mm-hmm. Like in that scene where she's like, "Well, I can stop being horrible for a minute with that kind of incentive." I just I love like a mean hot girl character who's self-aware and that's literally what Zoya is. Same. So Yeah, I loved that about this book. And I will say, when you read Six of Crows, there's a lot of good banter in there. So Can't I'm excited wait. for you to read it and hopefully discuss it. I feel like, I mean, we're being pretty nitpicky with this series because mm-hmm. of all the issues we have with it. And hopefully in the future, when we read more books in the Grishaverse, we don't have to be so negative. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> because... Yeah, at least after reading Six of Crows, I really think it gets better. I have no idea if the King of Scars series is better, but I will say uh, Six of Crows was so Zoya's good. in that one. Yeah, true. I and it, I feel like is Genya gonna be in it? I feel like she should. I don't know. I just know that like I read the inside cover of the first one, and it like it like oh. does it where it's like it talks about Nikolai, and they're like demon prince, and then underneath it, it's Zoya. I don't know, something about being mean. And then there's another girl's name underneath that who's a brand new character. 
But it sounded like there are potentially like three different perspectives or a third person perspective, but they're all three main characters. Not sure. That's what we love to see is multiple Mm -hmm. characters giving a third person perspective. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, exciting things in the future. But do you have any thoughts about like what the show is going to be or like anything you hope to see in the show when we watch it? After reading this series. Because um, I just, like, hope that Mal's character is more interesting in the show. That's my main thing. I'm sorry. I'm eating a gummy worm. Oh. <laughs> Love that for you. Um, my assumption is, or at least what I'm hoping, is I think there's a lot more chemistry between the actress who plays Alina and the other cast members. Um, cause it takes a long time for Alina to have chemistry with anyone at all. Yeah. And the first one is the Darkling and the guy who plays the Darkling is a hottie. I love, I think it's Ben Barnes is his name. Ben Barnes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Prince Caspian. Am I right? Prince Caspian. Never forget. Yeah. Um, and so like, I have no doubt that he'll be very charismatic and very, you know, I think he'll play really well into the Darkling. I'm just hoping that the actress is equally charismatic and is like more compelling to me than her character is. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. hoping the actress and the writing brings that in a lot. I also was looking at photos for this and I, and I was like, should I bring this up now or should I bring this up when we get to the actual show? We can bring it up again when we get to the show, but the uh, antlers, like her antler collar, is uh-huh. embedded in her skin. Like oh. it's not like a what? necklace situation. Seriously, Google it. It's literal like antlers poking out of her like clavicle. Ew. It's disgusting. And I was like, what? It's so clearly like basically a necklace in... The book, I have no idea why it's embedded into her skin that way. And I was like, does this mean when she gets the second amplifier, the scales are going to, like, adhere to her? I don't know. Oh, ew. I'm serious. Are you Googling it? I'm Googling it, but I haven't seen anything. Wait, maybe I need to Google specifically, like, amplifier? Uh, if you do a Alina shadow and bone collar, it comes right up. Collar. Yeah. And it's grotesque. Oh, ew. I know. What the fuck? I know. So I'm really curious yeah. to see that scene where it goes on her because that's got to be completely different from how it is in the book. Um. For real, because it's not like a necklace. I know. It just, I saw that because I was just like looking at pictures of Alina or whatever, and I was like, what the fuck? And I had to look and at the first book to see. I was like, is it supposed to be sunken into her this whole time? It's not. No, it's definitely not. I definitely imagine it as like a necklace. Yeah, it's just like a necklace she can't take so, off. Yeah, that's, um, wow. Well, I mean, we'll get season two coming soon, and I guess we'll see how they do the scales. 
but hopefully it's not like gross like that. I know. I don't like looking at it. Interesting. Anyways, that's, no, me either. that's my big anticipation for the TV show is to figure out how the heck she gets <laughs> this situation. Yeah, I'm interested to see what her summoning power looks like in the show. Mm-hmm. Like if it's going to look really corny or if it will look cool. It's hard to do magic in shows and not make it look corny. So, well, and I'm also we'll see. I'm also very curious because Jack watched the series when it dropped. He watched um I think the first two episodes and he said he was so confused that he just stopped watching. And he's never oh, he's really? never read the books. He doesn't have any exposure or anything like that. He was just like, oh, fantasy TV show. I'm on it, right? And he was like, I right. didn't understand what was happening at all. So that was really interesting hmm. to me. So I'm curious if he just wasn't – he's just like a, a dum-dum or if it's actually um, <laughs> like kind, – If it's confusing. Yeah, 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 if it's kind of – confusing because it is i guess maybe like a little bit convoluted in the beginning with the fold and everything um yeah i will say i've never heard any hype for this show from someone who has not read the books I like the agree. show has not transcended like the the book fandom so i wonder if it is one of those things that's like gonna be hard to understand unless you've read the book but i'm gonna watch it with jacob so we'll see what yeah he no says. i'm gonna watch it with jack um i'm excited to bring their content to this this podcast yeah. <laughs> make, make notes of their craziest quotes yeah i'm sure jacob will have some shit to say yeah. it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for anyone who listened to, who, for joining us on this journey of just like being haters <laughs> for this series because <laughs> i feel like that's what we've done for most of it i know i know well it's uh, it, we're, it's one or the other either we only have positives and we just gush over something or we only have negatives um and we just drag literally. it we, i'm hoping that with time comes moderation and we're able to more balance i perspective. think so so that's what you're gonna get well yeah thanks for joining us um if anyone listening if you have thoughts that you want to share or like any comments on this episode you can email us at the great obsession pod at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at the great obsession pod and join us next week for our next episode which may or may not be about six of crows yeah, tbd still not sure about that tbd um yeah that's all i got bye Bye.